John 13, verse 1 to 17. Starting at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus, Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not by feet, only but also my hands and my head and jesus said to him the one who has bathed just does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean and if you are clean but not every one of you for he knew who was to betray him and that that was why he said not all of you are clean when he had washed their feet and put out his garments and resumed his place he said to them do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so far the reading. Thank you, Yurif. So um, this afternoon sermon congregation um, considers the, an act of humbleness performed by Jesus and as we will see, um, this example has spiritual relevance for us in this day and age as well. The sermon has the title, How Far Does Your and My Feet Washing Go? Interesting title. The text is on the board behind, behind me. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was a Thursday night, the night before Christ was crucified. Our Lord and his disciples were in the upper room. The table was set, that very table at which our Lord would, within minutes, institute the Lord's Supper. Well, through an outward act, Christ was going to teach the disciples and us an enormous lesson. And our text allows us for three points. The first point, a humble outward act. Second point, an outward act with stunning symbolism. And the third point, how far does your and my feet washing go? 
And in this third point, there is an application for us. So the first point, a humble outward act. Christ and his disciples were ready to eat. That means they were lying on low couches around the table, their feet facing away from the table and hanging off the edge of each couch. What needed to happen first, according to their custom, was that someone needed to now do the humble task of washing the guest's feet. Normally, this was arranged by the host at the meal as part of his deed of hospitality. However, the host himself would not do it because it was far too lowly a deed for a person of high status to do. But it was on him to arrange that a servant or perhaps a slave would take a basin and a towel and do the rounds. But who would do it this time? You would expect that one of the disciples would jump up and say, Hey brothers, I'll wash your feet. But would a disciple really take up this lowly job? It seems that only minutes before, the disciples were still arguing about who of them was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, it was at this point that Christ, their Lord and teacher, got up and performed the task. Verse 4 tells us, Christ took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. Congregation, imagine what your Lord looked like when he moved about the room with only a loincloth on and a towel wrapped around his waist, his upper body naked. I'll tell you what he looked like. If someone who didn't know him had peeked into the room at that very moment, they would think this half-naked man was a servant, perhaps indeed a slave. And they wouldn't be wrong. For what else did the Son of God choose to be but a servant? Yes, actually a slave. You see, he who was in the very nature God made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a human being. In fact, a servant. We read that in Philippians 2, 6a and 7a. So the king of the universe dressed himself like a slave, took a pitcher of water, poured it into a basin, and started removing dirt from between toes. He went around and washed the feet of his disciples, all 12 of them. Yes, Jesus even showed patience by washing the feet of Judas, the same two feet that would only a short time later stand in Caiaphas's court, betraying the very one who had washed his feet. Well, verse 13 tells us, when he had washed the feet of all 12, Christ put on his clothes again and returned to his place at the table. And there we hear him say the following, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. My brother and sister, what exactly did Christ want to teach his disciples and us? Did he want us once a year have a congregational meeting at which we wash one another's feet? Some have thought so. Uh, some have thought so. That is why in some Christian denominations, 
they have instituted a feet-washing ceremony at which those considered to be in higher office of the church wash the feet of the rest. Should all Christians now start to literally wash the feet of the poor and humble? Is that what Christ wanted us to do? Well, not really. So what then? Does this feet washing mean we should always serve one another in all humility? Well, that certainly is included. But even that's not all that our Lord wanted to teach us with this particular passage. You see, there are quite a few things said and done in this passage which indicate that feet washing goes much further and much deeper than just humble service. Which brings us to the second point, an outward act with stunning symbolism. My brother and sister, the whole feet washing episode should be seen in the light of a bigger picture. The light of what is going on to, and what is going to happen the next day on Golgotha when Christ's humble and sacrificial death was going to wash away the sins of his loved ones. Look, it, it, look is that not why verse 1 reminds us this feet-washing episode happened just before the Passover feast? Is that not why verse 1 also indicates our Lord did this washing because he knew the time had come for him to leave this world? Again, is this not why verse 3 tells us Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, got up from the supper and did the feet washing? In other words, Christ got up from the meal because he knew about the cross the following day. And is that not also why verse 1 says that although Christ had all along loved the 11 disciples, he was going to show them the full extent of his love. Congregation, the evidence is overwhelming. The feet washing episode has to be seen as a symbol of Christ's humble and sacrificial death of the next day. That death would work a spiritual cleansing for, the, for, the, for God's loved ones. Yes, that death would wash away your sins and mine. And this gets even clearer when Jesus responds to Peter's impulsive remarks in verse 6 and 10. You see, when Peter refused that Christ should wash his feet, what did our Lord answer? He said, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. In other words, Peter, later on, after my cross death tomorrow, and after my resurrection, three days from now, and after my ascension into heaven, and then after Pentecost, then the entire work of my humiliation will be clear to you. Then you will understand what I am doing now involves a whole lot more than just humble feet washing. Well, what is this whole lot more? What does it mean? It becomes even clearer when Christ says in verse 8, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. It becomes even clearer still when Christ says in verse 10, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet, his whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. You see, my brother and sister, Christ talks in picture language, and this is the picture. 
Imagine someone back in those times had taken a bath before he went to a meal for which he had been invited. Now, sandals on his feet and walking through dusty roads of Palestine, he walks to the house of his host. Well, when he arrives at that house, does his whole body need washing again? No. As a custom, only his dirty feet need washing at the table, not his whole body, for that had already been washed at home. So what is Christ saying to Peter? Well, he is saying that someone who has been born again by the Spirit of God, someone who already is in Christ, does not need to have the sin which already has been forgiven, forgiven again. Such a person only needs assurance that his ongoing daily acts of sin, committed after regeneration, are washed away time and time again by his gracious Saviour. See, with this feet washing, Christ was giving the following message to Peter and the other ten. Not to Judas in this particular case. Here it is. Tonight and tomorrow, even you have been born again, even you who have been born again will desert me. These feet that I have washed tonight will all run away from me. Well, that's why, in gracious loving kindness, I am washing them already now to indicate with this washing act that I have forgiven you. Yes, forgiven you in advance. And indeed, all eleven of you have had the whole body washed at the time when my Holy Spirit regenerated your hearts. But now, through this feet washing act, I graciously tell you that also your sins of betraying and deserting me, also this sin, I forgive you in advance. Tomorrow, when everything is over and I lie in the tomb, yes, tomorrow evening, when you look at these very feet that have deserted me, then remember this feet-washing episode. Remember and have peace that with this feet-washing act I have graciously, graciously forgiven you. Yes, on the strength of my cross death, I have forgiven you in advance. Tomorrow night, your feet will look dirty, but they will still be regarded as clean. So now, congregation, in the light of this, how far does feet washing go for us as Christ's followers? Well, that brings us to the last point. How far does your and my feet washing go? And this is really the application of the sermon for us. Well, knowing that his feet washing episode was much more than just a humble act of service, but that it was a picture of forgiveness of sin, how should the disciples and we understand our Lord's words of verse 14 and 15? He said, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. See, yes, our Lord does want us to humbly serve one another. That's certainly part of it. But he wants something much deeper. You see, what is it harder to do? To swallow your pride and humbly serve, serve someone else? Or swallow your pride and forgive someone else the sin he or she has committed against you? Is it not that forgiving is the harder one? 
Yet in Colossians 3 verse 13, it says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And is not that also the message of the parable of the unforgiven servant and found in Matthew 18? Perhaps someone says, oh, I could never forgive um, that brother. I could never forgive. The hurt's too deep. Just seeing that person brings up all those old bitternesses again. Well, perhaps that's exactly your and my problem. We fix our eyes on that person, but we forget the secret of being just like Jesus, who, uh, like Jesus, is to fix our eyes on him, not so much on this or that person. My brother and sister, apart from time and place, your and my story is the same as that of the disciples. Yes, we are not in the upper room in Jerusalem, and it's not Thursday night, the night before our Lord's crucifixion. Rather, we are here in Hastings, and it's 2021. However, what Jesus did for them, he also does for you and me. He cleanses us from sin. He washes our hearts. And just as with the disciples' feet washing, Christ washed our hearts for two reasons. First of all, to show us grace according to his unimaginable love. And secondly, to give us a message. The message? To graciously forgive as we have been graciously forgiven. And as someone said, you and I do one of three things with a person who did us wrong. We can either flee from that person, or fight that person, or forgive that person. Yes, one of the three Fs. Flee, fight, or forgive. Well, in the light of what Christ has done, why not humble ourselves and forgive? I love how someone has put it. Most of the time, relationships don't thrive because the guilty are punished, but because the innocent are merciful. I'll just repeat that. Most times, relationships don't thrive because the guilty are punished, but because the innocent are merciful. You see, more often than not, when one is in the right, is moved to wash the feet of the one in the wrong, both parties get down on their knees. Once in a previous congregation, I received a call, a phone call. It was a member of the congregation, a sister in Christ. Her elderly sister from another town had come to visit her. But that elderly sister carried an awful lot of bitterness against their brother in Australia. Bitterness because of something the brother had once said to her. This embittered elderly sister just would not listen to her younger sister's pleas to forgive their brother. So the younger sister rang me to please come as fast as I could. So I went to her house. Having then listened to the embittered older sister, I explained to her the message of our text, John 13, 1-20 and knelt and prayed with both sisters. Great was my joy when months later I heard that the Lord had suffered, had softened the embittered sister's heart, so much so that she wrote a letter to their brother in Australia and asked for his forgiveness. 
Now, I never knew exactly who was the guilty party, but the elderly sister must have remembered the words of the saying I quoted to her. Relationships don't thrive because the guilty are punished, but because the innocent are merciful. Well, as someone has said so well, that letter she wrote, that letter might as well have been a basin, and the pen in the older sister's hand might as well have been the pitcher of water, for out of it poured pure mercy, and with it she washed her brother's feet. My brother and sister, certain conflicts can only be resolved with a basin of water. There is perhaps um, someone in your life, in my life, whose feet our Lord is asking us to wash. In verse 17, Christ says, You will be blessed if you do it. Now, being blessed does not mean you will be wealthy or that the other, pers- uh, other people will consider you to be happy, but rather you will have the blessed peace that passes understanding, the peace of being an object of God's favour. Look, is that not also the message of Psalm 32, which says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. My brother and sister, the Lord of the universe has washed your feet and my feet. And more than that, he has graciously forgiven all our sins and made us right with him. Why will we not now be like him? Why will we not fix our eyes on him and forgive as we have also been forgiven? Amen.